I've had a week of unnecessary paperwork back at the day job, and you've had a week of making, uh, I'm assuming, pasta faces and being forced to drink hideous cocktails being made out of things in your garden by your kids. So <laughs> No, that sounds like good parenting. No, I've just been ignoring them. Oh, excellent. I've had two full mornings thus far this week of sorting through bubble wrap. Ooh, yes. Yes, that's, a, that's my life. That's a middle-aged manly job. Oh, I've had a Stanley knife in one hand, a piece of bubble wrap in the other, and I've been cutting it all apart into nice little squares of various shapes and storing it away because you never know when you might need some <laughs> bubble wrap, Sam. No, you don't. Well, it's just lucky that we've got a history podcast to stop ourselves from spiralling into that kind of middle-aged, depressing lifestyle where you're simply waiting to die. At <laughs> <laughs> the age of 35. <laughs> yeah. I've actually quite enjoyed my bubble wrap sorting, to be perfectly honest. I feel like every time I placed a piece of bubble wrap in my bubble wrap box and I placed a little <laughs> bit of scrappy bubble wrap in the bin, I was thinking to myself, that's a little bit less bubble wrap that could have been going to landfill. It is. It's still some, babble, some bubble wrap going into landfill. <laughs> bubble wrap. Bubble wrap. <laughs> Shut up. All right. Shut up. <laughs> Mind you, it does keep it does keep your antiques frightfully safe. <laughs> Surrounding them in bubble wrap. <laughs> really, really noisy container. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the noise it makes when you jump on it though. When you pop it between your fingers, bubble wrap. <laughs> right, should we do a podcast? <laughs> Let's do this. And breathe. Hello and welcome to That Was Genius, the little history podcast in which Tom... Uh, drinking some juice. Good, he knew that was coming. We've been doing this for 65 episodes <laughs> now and <laughs> in excess of. And he still drinks when he's supposed to be talking, when he knows he's got Sorry. to talk. And Sam, the man who doesn't have a mouthful of liquid. Discuss history stories on a theme each week. We decide the topic the week in advance, but everything else that happens is a surprise. And what's our topic this week, Tom? The, the, the topic is weddings. Glug, glug, glug. It is indeed weddings, as suggested by one of our audience members a couple of weeks ago. How have you found this one, Tom? Uh, good. Yes, good. I found this one reasonably easy. My research did take me down some funny YouTube uh, suggestions. So I'd go onto Google and I'd type funny wedding incidents of history and I would get a video of someone puking during their wedding ceremony, which is just good. gold, really. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. I mean, just love it. Love that sort of stuff. <laughs> Cracking context. It's just good shit, really, wouldn't it? Really good shit. People tripping over, people embarrassing... Oh. Uh, grooms embarrassing oh. themselves. Falling into a lake at a golf course whilst taking photos. Yes, exactly. Oh. Gold dust. We've all seen them. Fantastic. Yes. Good shit. <laughs> and then I sort of realised I'd have to move on and do some proper history. And uh, yes, so I, I did enjoy this week. How about you? Yeah, I, I found a really interesting story, I, which isn't overtly funny, but I think uh, I think we'll get some enjoyment out of it. But it's just really interesting. So I found that pretty quickly. I just stumbled right across it. I've got I've even got an original source, a slightly secondary, more or less primary source to go from. I feel like a proper historian this week. Wow. Well, I have gone back to good old Plutarch again. Have you? That's your fallback, isn't it? <laughs> Barry Plutarch. I love Barry Plutarch. He's great. 
super reliable is old Plutarch. He is. You've got like a Plutarch quote of the day calendar, haven't you? Like one of those desk pull-off ones. Yep. Yeah. Just what we're going to talk about it's this a week. Motivational one. Plutarch. <laughs> yeah. What is motive? What is what a Plutarch motivational quote? Um, be the pavement. <laughs> right. <laughs> good. Good. Chase that pigeon. <laughs> Catch that pigeon. No, hang on, that was Dick Dastardly, not Plutarch. I get, I get them confused. <laughs> it's very easy to get them mixed up, those two. Um, yeah, so I, I went for Plutarch, so I'm being a bit saucy as well. I am being a, not overly saucy, just a little bit saucy. Good. Just a little bit of buttock on display. Just a little bit saucy. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Well, my sauce is in French, so I'm wearing a little bit of lingerie. Ooh, but I'm only very briefly... I can't mi- think of anything less arousing. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Boris Johnson having a wank. But I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> There's very few things. <laughs> God, can you imagine, can you imagine the mind. noise that would make with his hair flopping back and forth? <laughs> Spaff! Spaff! Oh. That's an eaten ejaculation, isn't it? Spaff! <laughs> oh, he just made an eaten mess. <laughs> right, boys. <laughs> Today's sex education class is where we teach you how to spaff. Not spunk like a commoner, but spaff. <laughs> like an elite private school boy. Yes, absolutely. As we all know, Tom, spaff is what comes out of toffs. <laughs> spunk is what comes out of chaps. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Beautiful. Right. <laughs> good, good. Well, yes, my source is in French, so all I'm doing is, uh, is giving the name of the source and then I'm just telling the story because I don't speak French. You not? No, je n'en parle français. I've got a GCSE French. Ah, what did you get? What 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 grade? Uh, le A. Oh, I had uh, un B. Un B. Oh. Yeah, I could. Yeah, and I don't know how I managed to get that either because when we went to university, I decided I was going to learn French, and I went to an evening class, which was apparently for people who'd got a GCSE B, and I was completely lost <laughs> and panicked and just sort of ran off and asked yeah. for my money back. You didn't know your pompal moose from your discotheque? No. What's a pompal moose? <laughs> I think it's, is it hedgehog? <laughs> pompal moose. Yelp banana. That's a banana yoghurt. That I know. <laughs> Un pantalon. Yes. One, tra- one trouser. Um, someone who breathes heavily when they run. <laughs> Very good. Very good. I don't... You've, yeah. Uh, okay, so you've got a French French sauce. Should we should we do a bit of um, feedback? Because we've got two weeks worth of audience feedback to do. We, we do have a little bit of audience feedback. Yeah. Uh, what have we got? Oh, Mango Man's been in touch again. Just today. Yeah, I saw that. Just cl- classic. Literally as we went on air, to say that Polari Some good stuff. Like- <laughs> To, Quite funny, these. <laughs> to say that um, Polari, which we covered in the episode two weeks ago, the, the secret gay language, uh, Polari is apparently a, a kind of dumpling in... Uh, is it Trinidad and Tobago? His, Trinidad, yeah, his Trinidad and Tobago, I think. Yeah, so yes, it's a type of dumpling and not available for fucking now gives him odd, <laughs> odd thoughts when he's eating with his family. And he just then clarified that he doesn't usually think about fucking his family while he's having dumplings. No. Just thought he'd clear that up. But yeah, rather funny messages. Yeah, fucking a dumpling, I guess, would be the Trinidad and Tobago version of American Pie, wouldn't it? <laughs> possibly, yeah, possibly. <laughs> fucking a dumpling. I think we had a funny review from Tang from Australia. Oh, yes, we did, yes. It says, yeah, okay, so it's not hardcore history. They typically oh, use I did like this. a couple of sources, <laughs> but they don't let 
that get in the way of a good story and it will have you in tears in parts yeah i'm sorry about that tang i'm <laughs> um, not very pc at all maybe not appropriate if you're easily offended but come on live a little have a bit of perspective yes snowflake or for little kiddies <laughs> yeah definitely not for little kiddies <laughs> No, although we have had someone who was who used to listen to it with their kiddies. We have, yes. Yeah. Well, this week's source, just for Tang, is uh, the Usborne Illustrated First History of the World. That's the one I'm going to be oh, using. Oh, really? I know. It's quite a difficult one to comprehend. bit advanced, but anyway, that's what I'm going for today. <laughs> um, we kind of are to Dan Carlin what coronavirus is to Tinder spreading super gonorrhea, aren't we, Sam? <laughs> a bit of light relief. So. Wow, that is... <laughs> You've tried to go as politically incorrect as possible now that someone's brought it up, haven't you? You've taken that as a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> I just wish to point out to listeners that between the two of us, Sam, we have two more degrees in history than Dan Carlin has. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> That's why we only need one source, because we just inherently know what we're talking about. Yeah, because we know our shit. Off the top of our head. Yeah. <laughs> you don't need sources when you just know. <laughs> when you just, you're just lit. No. No, uh, you just woke. No, neither of those work. <laughs> oh, okay. You're, Tom, um, Tom, you're uh, at a stage in your life where you're cutting bubble wrap up into pre-measured portions for later use. I don't think you're in any <laughs> position to use the words lit or woke. <laughs> well, I've demonstrated that. I definitely have demonstrated yes, that. Yes, you I? have, yeah. Uh, uh, yes. Uh, wizard. It's, it's, like a, <laughs> it's, it's like wizard. <laughs> Golly gosh. Um, Eyes Open tweeted us to say that he's listening to us as he goes for walks, and we've been a lifesaver during this time for him. I'm very I'm very glad. Thank you, Eyes Open. I'm glad we can cheer you up in these trying times. And I'm glad he's also going for a walk with his eyes open. <laughs> yes. Uh, what else have we had? Sean Phillips uh, wrote to us on Facebook saying... Um, oh, actually, I think Sean Phillips might actually be the same as Eyes Open, because they're both teachers... Ah. They're both going for walks, and they're both making hints that they want mugs. So I suspect that Sean is actually just—he's uh, enveloping us oh, in a pincer movement. Oh, he's gunning for a mug, is he? <laughs> he's gunning for a mug. I think a lot depends on what what Sean is going to do with this mug. Oh well, yes. If we're going to get a return on our investment for this mug, then you know we're happy to see that mug go out. I I I think Sam, what do you think? Here's a here's a challenge for you, Sean. Given that you're a teacher and we're a history podcast. If you can show us evidence that you showed your class our podcast, I will send you that king mug. Yes! <laughs> Photographic evidence yep. that you have been peddling our podcast to students, <laughs> and that mug is all yours. <laughs> Done. Right. And on that note, should we do a podcast? <laughs> <laughs> let's, go, let's go for it. Can I go first this week, Tom? Uh, yes, because I have gone first the last couple of weeks, haven't I? Yeah, you go first. You, you have. And I, I'm, I'm British. I'd rather do manners than flipping something. I'd rather do good manners than leave it up to chance, I think. Fair enough. We could have flipped our wedding rings, though, couldn't we? We actually could have done. Hang on. Oh, good sound. I won, Tom. Hold on. Did that sound good as well? That sounded slightly tinny to me. <laughs> I've already lost my ring once. So have I. My first ring is in a field somewhere. It's in some tiny little town south of Christchurch in New Zealand in mud because oh. I lost it doing a mud race. <laughs> uh, mine is in the sea. Is it? Yeah. How did you lose yours in the sea? I was having a surfing lesson. Ah. And uh, my ring came off and fell into the sea and I couldn't find it and I was very sad and in... 
uh, in my fury and to get revenge against the sea, I managed to stand up for the first time on my surfboard immediately after losing it. Ha ha, Poseidon! <laughs> yeah. Ha ha. yeah. Have that. <laughs> it's not just Caligula who could declare war on the sea, Poseidon. I piss on your face, Poseidon. <laughs> I think I've told everyone before, haven't I? I pissed in the Ganges. I was quite pleased with that. <laughs> you're not holy you're not the, my ass. You're not the only one, Tom. <laughs> the Ganges is more piss than water. <laughs> yeah, but I, I pissed right at the top, Sam. Right. I pissed very close to the top of the Ganges. Good for you. I was in one of those small towns in northern India where lots of Western backpacker, backpackers go and try and find enlightenment and sort of get up early one morning and go and sort of walk down to the rocks and just sit meditating on the rocks. <laughs> and there was a sign saying, shit in the Ganges, 100 rupees. And you thought, well, <laughs> as a Brit in India, I feel like I should... Fuck well, this, I'm not going to shit in rip- the Ganges when I could shit in my hand and throw it at that Western twat over there meditating on a rock. <laughs> Unfortunately, you missed and it went to the Ganges anyway. <laughs> Well, Tom, you're not the only one with an odd story, he says, desperately trying to segue into the topic of the week. A mere, oh, how long is it when we're starting our stories? 25 minutes into the recording, which I think is possibly a record for us. So today, Tom, I'm going to talk about one marriage that featured two weddings, two annulments, a prison sentence, and a bizarre argument between the church and the government of France, as well as some meddling parents. Less snappy title for a Hugh Grant film. Yes. <laughs> two weddings, two annulments, a prison sentence, and an argument between the church and the government of France. <laughs> fuck, 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 fuck. And a funeral. <laughs> well, I should know it would start it would start with and mad, 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 mad. La la mad. La mad. Mad. <laughs> yes, it would. <laughs> So yes, today I'm taking you, Tom, to 16th century France for the not-so-happy marriage of Elizabeth Pallier and Pierre Ulbon. And I know what you're thinking, Tom. France is the home of love. L'amour! How can two French people not love one another? Well, Tom, it's because the French are grumpy bastards who don't like being told what to do. (laughs) They they weren't in love, then? Is this where we're going? Well, they were and they weren't. A bit, a bit of a mixed bag. So the story I'm going to tell today comes from a 1629 book of legal cases called Action Notable et Plaidoyer. Fuck me, you've been really going for the sources. I have. That sounds like you discovered that at the back of a tiny, dusty old library in the middle of some tiny French village somewhere. Well, I discovered it in the back of a dusty old website in a tiny little French Google. The title translates as uh, Notable Cases and Advocacies. Uh, a notable advocacy, by the way, Tom, is one which isn't yet too ripe and mushy, but isn't bitter and hard and crushes down really well onto toast. That's just the perfect uh, perfect court case. Nice. Now, <laughs> it, took me, it took me a moment. <laughs> I went back. I was like, ah, see what you did there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's a slow burner. A very middle class slow burner. <laughs> it's a good one, though. <laughs> yeah. Very tenured. It was a thinker. It was a thinker. <laughs> Now, <laughs> so like a riddle. It was like a riddle joke. <laughs> yeah, I don't, what would that riddle be? What anyway? So for some context, this is a point in time when the government of France and the church, the papacy, are at loggerheads. It's a time when people are just starting to wake up and realise that perhaps, maybe, the Pope doesn't need to be quite so involved in every little fucking part of your life. 
Lutheran Christianity is taking off in Germany. Henry VIII is busy burning monasteries whilst forming the Church of England and lopping the heads off various wives. It's generally bad times to be a Catholic in power. People are starting to ask questions. And the one thing that Catholicism doesn't stand up fantastically well to, Tom, is questions. So yes, the Catholics weren't having a brilliant time of it. Uh, Not that they bought themselves much good karma based on their behaviour in the previous millennia or so, but hey-ho. And one of the places that this uh, kind of battle between church and state was playing out was in weddings. The church in France wanted marriage to be a way of creating lots of new Catholics by having a ceremony in the eyes of God and then have the marriage usually, at the time, consummated before the eyes of your friendly neighbourhood priest. Who, uh, you know, Tom, oh, really? he just, he cannot bear to watch, but you know, if God insists, then he must uh, get out his pen and paper and make sure that he draws it so that he can remember in future that they have consummated the marriage and will be making lots of little Catholic babies. Uh, excuse me, I would just like to, to check that you have penetrated. Yes, uh... Allow me to, uh, okay, yes, this is feeling good, very good. Yes, uh... Is she sufficiently moist? Oh, God. I think I will have to check. Oh, God. Ah, <laughs> uh, mais oui, si, they are both like a uh, freshly glazed parmesan. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, mon Dieu, my God, they have got it all over my cassock. Perhaps I shouldn't stand so close. <laughs> but you know, if God wills. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> So the priest would actually sit in the corner of the room, awkwardly watching them having a bonk. Uh, quite often, yeah. As if it's if it's as if it's not tough enough when they're probably virgins and it's the wedding night and they've been boozing all day. <laughs> as if the pressure isn't great enough to perform. Well, quite without a yeah. without a wanking priest. <laughs> Come on in, put on the show. I'm here. Don't disappoint the Lord. There's just a rustling from the curtains and the and the quiet voice going, Hail Mary, Hail Mary, Hail Mary, Mother of God, Hail Mary, Mother of God. Oh, God. Yes. So, so that was the church's attitude to marriage. The, uh, oh, horrendous. Yes. The French state, meanwhile, wanted marriage to be... In- More separation in a confessional than there is on your <laughs> wedding night. <laughs> it certainly is. So the French state wanted marriage to be an effective way of sorting out property disputes, so less bonky-bonky, more effective way of passing cash and other resources like unwanted daughters around whilst ensuring the family line. (laughs) Meanwhile, whilst the church and the state had their own ideas, the French people themselves, being impulsive and romantic types, of course, preferred clandestine marriages, which were basically eloping or um, occasionally kidnapping a bride for a secret ceremony that was very hard to prove legally. Neither the church or the state liked this at all, and they had very different ways of dealing with it. So there was an uneasy truce in which the church and the state agreed that the church would marry you off and would sign the paperwork on behalf of the state. For example, they would make sure that there were witnesses present, they would check your age and identity, you know, all of the things you'd associate with with a modern legal wedding. Meanwhile, the French people did what the French people do and ran around eloping and fucking anything that moved. (laughs) And if the church got wind that you were married illegally through one of these um, through one of these clandestine marriages, they could force you to redo the marriage. Back alley marriage. In front of a priest, yeah. So to speak. <laughs> yeah, there's a regrettable Saturday night in Gay Paris, isn't there? <laughs> <laughs> you, you wake up with a bad tattoo and a ring on. <laughs> what goes on a drunken night in Paris? 
is well fortunately not legally binding but if the church got wind that you were married illegally they could force you to redo the marriage in front of a priest bizarrely and oh for fuck off priest (laughs) yeah oh do you have to be there for everything (laughs) (laughs) you haven't been fucking without me watching have you (laughs) i would just like to make clear from the outset that if either of you have had a poo this morning and it wasn't declared previously to me i expect you to do another one that i can witness yep (laughs) thank you very much come up right come up here to the font right where where everyone can see you (laughs) Rouse us down and do a poo in the font, please. Le pantalon de cendre. <laughs> <laughs> Presente le merde. <laughs> oh, that, by the way, was excellent French for trousers descend and present the poo. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the name of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, types that out. <laughs> it's going on my list of funny names. Oh, good Lord. So so bizarrely and amazingly, though, Tom, if the church got wind that you were married and couldn't fight illegally and couldn't find you, they could call in surrogates to get married on your behalf. They would just pull in some randomers to pretend to be you and sign the paperwork in your name. Right, now fuck the both of you. <laughs> yes. I need to witness it. <laughs> but I have never met this man in my life. I do not care. <laughs> I have got a tent pole in my cassock <laughs> and pornography won't be invented for 500 years. <laughs> it's one of the small perks of the job. The yes. only reason I joined the papacy... It's not that small a perk either, if you get what I mean. Now, come on, you two. <laughs> I'll, pick, I'll pick the best-looking pair of tramps I can find <laughs> in this part of Paris. <laughs> Ah, uh, brilliant. So, uh, so that was that was the church. If the church caught you being illegally married, if the state caught you illegally married, your parents were allowed to disinherit you. Thanks for the support. I know, I know right? <laughs> nope. Not just going to turn off. me off. No, you're going just straight to disinheritance. Straight to disinheritance. Well, the state could execute you, fine you for it. So, wow. uh, so yeah, I'd go for a fine. Thank you very much. Uh, yes, I will choose a fine. <laughs> Difficult one. And a slap on the uh, wrist from my parents. <laughs> I'd just like to consult with my lawyer. <laughs> my frightfully ripe <laughs> advocate. <laughs> Don't mind him going a little squishy. He's just very experienced. So to make sure, in addition to all of this, to make sure that you didn't do anything stupid, the French government, in an act of equal and opposite stupidity, <laughs> raised the age of consent, the age of adulthood as well, to 30 for men and 25 for women meaning that you were legally in france a child until the age of 30 if you were a bloke 25 if you were a woman and you had to get your parents to sign off on your wedding in your name until you were essentially middle-aged this was an effort obviously to stop young couples from eloping in a marriage that their parents didn't approve of your parents could even annul a legal or illegal marriage on your behalf without you being there so the church could marry you off without you being there and your parents could get you divorced without you being there it was entirely possible that both of these things would happen without you ever knowing about it right so what does all this have to do with elizabeth pallier and pierre Olbron, tom i don't know you chose a bloody topic oh fuck (laughs) i've just got fill in with something amusant (laughs) written in my notes after this 
1587, these two lovebirds got together. Pierre was very young and Elizabeth was a little older and already widowed. And they lived quite happily under the same roof as a married couple for about seven years until they were rumbled as being illegally married in 1595. The case went to an ecclesiastical court, a church court, where a judge ordered that the pair be remarried legally in front of a priest. Elizabeth was fine with this. She was quite happy to be married again. This seemed like a pretty good deal to her. This is fine. We've just not got round to it yet. But Pierre, Tom, being a Frenchman and therefore prone to going on strike at the slightest provocation... I was going to say, just parked his tractor in the middle of the road. Drive his horse and cart incredibly slowly down, <laughs> down the Rue Provinciale. So Pierre, disgusted that the church was trying to force him to do something, point blank refused to get married again. Viva la resistance! Which I suspect Tom may have caused some kind of a petty argument. <laughs> having been apparently married for seven years and now saying, mm, I don't fancy it. <laughs> well, seven year itch, isn't it? It's just awkward oh, time. Oh, well, yes, it is actually. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Maybe she was the one who rumbled them to the church because she was trying to get him to commit. Yeah. Who can say? Played him. Yeah, like a fiddle. So Pierre refused to go through with the wedding. And <laughs> According to the priest. <laughs> According to uh, indeed. Indeed. <laughs> His eyewitness account was recorded <laughs> in his own personal diary. Yes. <laughs> along with copious drawings. Writing with his left hand whilst his right hand fiddled. Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, le diagram pornographique. <laughs> You're enjoying this a little bit too much, then. <laughs> I am, yes. <laughs> so, so as a result of all this, the judge threw Pierre in prison. So he was jailed for refusing to go through with the marriage. There he is, threw him in the red ass. No. <laughs> Go back a little bit. I was I was a little bit behind. <laughs> threw, threw him in the red ass. <laughs> in this part of France, did they have like a sort of Arabian night style punishment? Where they, where they threw them in the giant red ass. <laughs> yes, and you must stay in the crack of the buttocks for seven days and seven nights until you have learned your lesson. <laughs> it's the worst punishment the church can think of, Tom, throwing you in the Derriere Rouge, which was Paris's premier strip club. <laughs> <laughs> red ass. Ah, for refusing to go through with this wedding, we will give you a punishment that is so unchristian. You will be saying El Maris for the rest of your days. <laughs> Send you to an arable, arable, arable den of iniquity. Strip club. The second or third level of L, it is going to be like a purgatory for you. <laughs> the strippers, they're all without fail, pensioners. <laughs> the small numbers that are under the age of 65 <laughs> have all got missing limbs. It is arable. <laughs> This strip club is truly, truly appalling. And as he said, wasn't bad enough. The dances cost 16 euros and they don't have change. The, bounce <laughs> the bouncers are very persuasive. Once you are in, you must at least have one lap dance. Preferably from the woman who only has a lap. <laughs> <laughs> but still, I have it on reliable information from the village priest Right, anyway. Make sure you have some monkey bars in your bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> what a peculiar digression. 
<laughs> what a very peculiar digression. How much of that's going to make the cut? <laughs> so, <laughs> so the judge threw Pierre into prison, where under duress he was probably tortured by being surrounded by geriatric strippers. He did eventually agree <laughs> to go through with the marriage. And to make sure he didn't run away after being let out of prison, the church prison guards actually frog-marched him to the chapel and held him in front of his beautiful bride-to-be, who I suspect was slightly fuming by this point. You couldn't just let it go, could you? <laughs> no. And also his mother-in-law was going... <laughs> imagine the, the, the face on his mother-in-law. Just let it go. You can't let me have my day, can you? Seven years I've waited for this, Pierre, you bastard. <laughs> so eventually, they were legally married in the traditional French way, Tom, with the exchange of a wreath of garlic, the removal of Elizabeth's beautiful white lace stick-on-twiddly moustache for the first kiss, <laughs> an espresso, a glass of wine, a fuck in front of the priest and a cigarette, before heading off into the distance in a 2CV with a string of berries and onions jangling behind it merrily and jetim spray-painted on the back. Ah, romance. Wonderful. Wonderful. So a few years passed and Pierre, clearly won over by the effectiveness of the legal system, actually got himself a job, a legal job, at the Palace of Justice. This, a cushy government job in a high-profile position, made him quite the catch. But he was happily married and, aside from the traditional French affairs, was off the market. His parents were having none of it, though. They had another suitor in mind for their beautiful baby boy. They thought that he deserved a woman befitting of his new station. Pierre, still being in his late 20s, was still legally considered a child by the government, oh. despite being a senior lawyer. <laughs> and so his parents applied to have him forcibly divorced behind his back in 1598. Their argument was that since they hadn't been present at the somewhat rushed and forced church wedding, it hadn't counted. Elizabeth sued the parents, saying that the marriage was completely legal, there was documentation, all the paperwork was signed, and Pierre's parents had no right to get involved. They could, quote, le fuck right earth. Now, uh, that's not a quote. <laughs> At first, the court agreed that this was fucking ridiculous and that the groom's parents had no right to meddle in his quite happy marriage and forcibly divorce him. But in 1601, after 14 years together and six years legally married, a court of appeal sided with the parents because they convinced the judge that by jailing, torturing and forcing their son to marry his wife, the church had overstepped its legal rights. After all, Tom, only the state can legally torture you. <laughs> and the marriage was therefore illegal. It was done under duress. He was essentially tortured into marriage. The court agreed. An unusual way of doing it. <laughs> Torture usually comes second, doesn't it, Sam? Oh, no, it does, doesn't it, Tom? It does. <laughs> Old Paul and Shane. Torture, Torture usually comes a few years down the line. Uh, <laughs> Ooh, loads, loads, loads. I don't know. That is exactly the kind of Facebook status that would be written by a man with an England flag for a profile picture. Yeah. And it. a lest we forget tattoo. <laughs> Yeah, so the marriage was legally annulled. It was as if it had never happened at all, and Elizabeth was left with no legal rights whatsoever. And the result of this was that Pierre was suddenly a somewhat, though, mm, let's say not entirely. He was quite a senior lawyer by this point. He could probably have wrangled his way out of the uh, annulment if he'd wanted to. But a somewhat unwilling bachelor with a very high-profile job, which was a very good place to be in 16th century Europe. He was now quite the catch. Elizabeth was not so lucky. She was suddenly a single mother from an illegitimate union. And the parents, Tom, 
Well, they were probably very smug as they sat there whinging about how the youth of 16th century France didn't respect their elders. So there we go. That is the bizarre and slightly sad wedding of Elizabeth Pallier and Pierre Aulbron. And what then happened? So what, did he then go and get it on with someone... 10 years his senior who was a, who was modeling I don't know what happened next that's where the story ends because I guess well I'm reading from a legal journal and that was the end of the court case but I suspect he did eventually remarry who can say who can say he was quite the who catch knows? <laughs> and a bit of a bastard <laughs> and, a bit, yeah. and didn't really defend his wife for 14 years not very no. loyal <laughs> no. no kind of left her out on the street yeah not particularly christian is it no <laughs> But then a lot of things Christians do isn't. Let's go back to before Christianity even existed, Sam. Oh, go on, Tom. Halcyon days. I'm going to talk about the Spartans. Oh! The Spartans. Oh, they're a, they're a laugh a minute, aren't they, the Spartans? Hey, hey, with the Spartans. People say we murder our kids. We just want to be soldiers. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, the only rhyme I can come up with is so politically incorrect that I don't know if I can say it. Hit it, you can always delete it. <laughs> and that's why we kill the flits. Hey, hey, we're the Spartans. <laughs> no. Oh, I raise a glass. Bad Sam. Oh, God, I feel <laughs> awful. <laughs> He's self-flagellating right now. I Pick out a ruler from the drawer of your desk and I bang am. on the oh, back of the neck. God. Oh. You horrible man. <laughs> that's an extra decade in purgatory for you. Sam. It is, isn't it? Unfortunately, it's really funny, so I might keep it in. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, those are the Spartans. Yeah, that, that is the Spartans. They do make Oliver Cromwell look like a party animal, don't they, the Spartans? <laughs> they do. Brief synopsis of the Spartans. So Sparta was an ancient Greek city-state famous for its role in the second Persian invasion of Greece. The Persians were trying to take control of what we now know as Greece, the Greek city-states, well, actually, only a few of the more powerful of them, notably Athens and Sparta, formed a confederacy to fight back against the Persians. And then we have the famous Battle of Thermopylae, where a combined Greek force held off an enormous Persian force at Naripath for seven days. This ended with the Persians sneaking around the back of the Greeks, and when the defeat was inevitable, the majority of the Greek forces retreated. King Leonidas of Sparta had his famous last stand with 300 Spartans. But also, Sam, hilariously, and I didn't know this, not only were there 300 Spartans, there were 700 Thespians. Oh, God. <laughs> I bet the battle-loving, ultra-masculine, super-disciplined <laughs> Spartans loved that. Oh, <laughs> a spear, a spear, my kingdom for a spear. How do I look, darling? Oh, you look lovely, glowing, darling, glowing. I'm just going to practice my spear thrust. Spray some water on my forehead, would you, darling? Oh, <laughs> oh, here they come, those big, horrible Persians. Angry face. Oh, me, 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 me. <laughs> Hold them off five more minutes, will you? I'm just doing my vocal exercises. <laughs> the weeds in Thebes grow mostly from seeds. <laughs> <laughs> my mate in my latest made me mock my measured minotaur. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I appear to have been stabbed. Well, it's exit stage left for me, dear boy. <laughs> Homer liked a stoner with a boner. Oh, <laughs> I'm ready to go. <laughs> alas, 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 I die. Back of the hand on the forehead. <laughs> yeah. 
and scene. Is this the end? <laughs> and that's a wrap. <laughs> I cannot work under these conditions. <laughs> so I thought that was fantastic. 300 Spartans, they get all the credit, but they were 700 thespians. Now, seriously, the modern word <laughs> thespian is not derived... When a cast of thousands, Tom, a battle with a cast of thousands. <laughs> The, the word thespian is not actually derived from this Boeotian city. It actually comes from a chap called Thespis, who Greek legend has it was the first actor, although the two words have a similar origin. Anyway, I should also note that at this battle, which I didn't know, there were probably a large number of helots, more helots than there were Spartans, uh, who also fought to the end. And helots basically lived next door to the Spartans, and the Spartans enslaved them. So we've got a bit of a Tenzin Norgay situation here. We've got an ancient Greek <laughs> Tenzin Norgay situation where the Spartans get all the credit. Eh, there are actually a lot of thespians, more thespians, and there were more helots there as well. Anyway, the Spartans later had it out with the Athenians during the Peloponnesian War. The two wanted to be the big daddy in Greece, and this all took place in the 5th century BC. There you go. I can't help but feel that the Persians get a bit of a rough deal in in Hollywood and in Greek legend, considering that... They were really quite a liberal, multicultural society who did quite a lot of stuff right. Ah, <laughs> uh, but did they write, Sam? Well, they did write. If you're not writing much down... Most of their writing got destroyed by, I believe, the Greeks. <laughs> oh, is that right? There you go. Winners write history and also burn everyone else's. By Alexander the Great in a drunken rage. Is that right? <laughs> I, be- I think so. I believe so, yeah. Yeah, well, that's the, that's the thing. And, well, actually, that's connects a little bit to Mm. modern perceptions of Sparta because the Spartans didn't write about themselves as far as I know it was the Athenians who wrote about the Spartans or possibly Thebans I think may have spoken about Spartans I don't know but it was other city-states largely Athens that wrote about the Spartans and so we don't really know a huge amount about the Spartans from from themselves so they probably weren't quite as hardcore as they they were made out I don't think no, but it's one of those situations where it probably doesn't do you any harm for people to think that's the case. Yeah, I suppose so, yeah, the hardest nails. Yeah. yeah. I once smacked the head off a camel. Just for shits and giggles. <laughs> yeah, right off. Boom. Everyone, no one wants to fight with you when that sort of story starts to circulate. No. No one wants to no one wants to fight the camel twatter. <laughs> Could also be the episode title. We've got a couple of choices here. <laughs> Nobody wants to fight the camel twatter. (laughs) Okay, Plutarch talks about Spartan marriage in his work, The Life of Lysurgus. So I suppose I'd better introduce Lysurgus, hadn't I? Well, he was a semi-mythical figure who, it is claimed, instituted reforms in Sparta that made it this military, kick-ass, but rather boring Sparta that we know and love. Ooh, my favourite mythical creature is the one who brings administrative change. (laughs) Tell me more about his adventures, Tom. (laughs) Was he born of a a meeting between Zeus and a mortal and was cursed by Hera to be really good at maths and have to do lots of challenges involving long division? (laughs) And to be really good at ordering the top drawer of his desk. <laughs> yeah. Have all his pencil sharpeners in size order. Yeah. Um, regardless, Plutarch is probably the go-to source on this chap. He even admits... <laughs> Plutarch's uh, your Plutarch. go-to source on everything. He's my guy. I just, <laughs> yeah. If I'm, if I'm struggling, Plutarch's my man. I just, I just call him up. <laughs> Go on speed dial. I'm like, oh, Barry, Barry. So Plutarch himself admits that it's difficult to find out exactly who Lycurgus was. 
So without further ado, let's see what he has to say about Spartan marriage. Quote, And that he made the maidens exercise their bodies in running, wrestling, casting the discus, and hurling the javelin, in order that the fruit of their wombs might have vigorous root in vigorous bodies, and come to better maturity. That sort of sums up the Spartans for you, doesn't it? The master race requires you to bear strong children for the Reich. Yeah. <laughs> Marriage was very important to Lycurgus' Sparta. In fact, am I pronouncing his fucking name right? Lycurgus or Lycurgus? I don't know, Tom, and I also have a policy of not correcting you when you mispronounce Greek names after one of our old podcast episodes (laughs) in which you've bullied me mercilessly for 15 (laughs) minutes about my pronunciation of (laughs) Lysippus, Lysippus. And I had a proper strop and had to (laughs) to edit out my breakdown from the final edit. So... (laughs) Because I'm a nice person, you can pronounce it however you like, honey. Bob. Bob, yeah. Hold on, I've got it on YouTube. It's coming up. Oh, like Kyrgyz. Uh, I've got an American. Like like Kyrgyz. Uh, apparently, Sam, it's like Kyrgyz. Like Kyrgyz. Like Kyrgyz. Like Kyrgyz. Like sidewalk. <laughs> so, is it pronounced like Kyrgyz or like Hergis? <laughs> like, like Kurgis? I think it's like, like Kurgis. Kurgis is a delicious Scottish dish. Like, like Kurgis? Marriage <laughs> was very important to like Kurgis as Sparta. In fact, bachelors weren't allowed to exercise with other men and women, and they had to march around markets singing a song about themselves, <laughs> presumably something about not being married. <laughs> I am so single. I am so single. Can you guess why I am so single? <laughs> I have a nerdy face and I wear my glasses when I go out and I could probably just... My hay fever is pretty bad. I sneeze on my dates. <laughs> my nipples seep in bed, producing a horrible stain. <laughs> I am so single. <laughs> Come here, ladies. <laughs> I have hair in all sorts of places. <laughs> Some of which is going to tickle your faces. <laughs> <laughs> My knackers hang low and swing around like maces. <laughs> But my mother has fashioned me these little testicular braces. <laughs> Oh, I'm an unmarriable bachelor. (laughs) I've got social problems. (laughs) My sperm are all swimming the wrong way. And I collect toy goblins. Yeah, well, I'm done. <laughs> very, very good. Well, I had written in my notes, it's only a game show. Better believe I'm right. I'm going to be snookering you, snookering you tonight. <laughs> it's been too long since a big break reference. <laughs> so you put in one that has no bearing whatsoever on, it's whenever they, on whenever, what you're talking about. <laughs> whenever, we fi- whenever I find a historical source that refers to a song and we don't know what that song is, I assume it's theme tune to Big Break. Okay, well, the history, the sources don't say it's not. <laughs> Precisely. Anyway, get this. For a wedding night tradition, Sam, the beautiful Spartan oh, bride would be taken away by force, dressed in a dull tunic, have her hair chopped off, and then she was made to lie on a pallet in a dark room. 
Oh, yes, just as I have imagined it to be. <laughs> so romantic. Oh, I just exactly how I pictured it would be. It sounds very much like one of these SAS survival programs. <laughs> the husband would then sneak in when he could, bonk her, or, quote, loosen her virgin zone for a short period of time, long oh, wow. enough for many of the women to become pregnant. So it might, it might be weeks, months. Quote, this united husbands and wives when their bodies were full of creative energy and their affections new and fresh, not when they were satiated and dulled by unrestricted intercourse. So she would be locked in a room, essentially, for a month. Sounds that way, on a pallet. On a, on a pallet, yes. Yeah, so at least there's a little bit of sort of Pinterest style there. Uh, you know. yeah, yeah. Oh, what a lovely pallet bed they've made for me. Upcycled, lovely. Oh, look, oh that's a lovely... Very lovely shabby tire, chic. Tire sofa you've got over yeah. there. I also like that... Well, I don't like, it's horrifying, that he was to come in and bonk her when he was able. Yeah, when he could find the time. When he could find the time. Got a tea break. <laughs> Off we go. Between singing his uh, I'm Married Now, Fuck Off Mum song. (laughs) Stop making my packed lunches. (laughs) While sticking up his fingers to the bachelors. (laughs) Yeah. Just go to the market and laugh at them. Yeah, but that seems to be what happened. Yeah, laugh at the bachelors at the market. Uh, The next bit seems very ancient Greek. If an older man had a lovely young wife who he couldn't make preggers... He would introduce her to a younger man, let them get it on, presumably watching with a lecherous glow to his face like a French priest. <laughs> like a French priest. <laughs> before adopting the children. Likewise, if a man saw a woman who was producing top dollar children when his wife was producing cretins, he could ask the woman's <laughs> husband if he could have a go. <laughs> And apparently these cultural practices were designed to prevent adultery, jealousy, hostility, all those things between Spartans by keeping everything out in the open. It also... That has a certain merit. I mean, the actions don't have a merit to them, but the thought behind it does. Yeah, yeah. It's it's linked to this idea also that children in Sparta were children of all Sparta and not just their mother and father. Polybius confirms this in his The Histories, quote, it was hereditary custom and quite usual for three or four men to have one wife or even more if they were brothers, the offspring being the common property of all, and when a man had begotten enough children, it was honourable and quite usual for him to give his wife to one of his friends. Yeah, <laughs> two sources. Take that, Dan Carlin. <clears throat> <laughs> Although Herodotus, three sources, suggests in his histories that this was unusual for the Spartans when talking about Alexandrides. Have it! Boom, I'm in awe. I'm in awe of your history. <laughs> I'm in awe of my referencing. Spartans weren't particularly nice to children. You've kind of mentioned it. They would assess children when they were born, and those who were disabled or weak would be thrown into a chasm um, because they were of no use to the state. Similarly, and I didn't realise this, midwives would bathe newborn children in red wine because apparently it weeded out the strong from the weak. (laughs) And nobody has studied the prevalence of genetic predisposition to alcoholism in Sparta, but I think it would make an interesting PhD, Dan Carlin. You should give this a go once you've got a degree. Uh, so there is Spartan I'd marriage. I'd be very surprised if he didn't get given an honorary degree by the time this podcast comes out. Yeah, yeah. Not much, yeah. That might have to work for it, though. <laughs> That's Spartan marriage. There you go. And my oh. opportunity to go back to old Barry Plutarch and um, have a chat with him over the phone. Beautiful. So I hope you sent uh, sent your love to his wife and kids. Yep, yep. Nora, uh, Nora, Pete and Jules. <laughs> oh, lovely little. They grow up so fast, don't they? Yeah. 
Lovely. Well, that was really interesting, Tom. It was quite a quick one, that, wasn't it? I mean, that was, it was quite quick. That was two pages. I've heard, yeah. Right, should we think of a topic for uh, for next week? Have we got any suggestions that we haven't honoured? Well, it's a patron's exclusive next week, so we should probably come up with one ourselves, because if people want to suggest topics, okay. uh, it's a bit unfair that they can't hear them. I mean, all these people that are listening that aren't patrons, are we allowed to let them know what we're discussing next week in the bath? I think we should let people know what we're going to talk about. It might it might entice them to join up as a patron. What have you considered then for a patron episode? What have you got? I was thinking... Now, I did have an idea and I've forgotten what it was. Um, Memory loss. <laughs> I, well, I was thinking possibly lies. Lies. Tell me lies. Tell me sweet little lies. Sweet little lies, yeah. Um, okay, dishonesty lying. Yeah, we can do that. Yeah. It's a nice broad one. It's 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 a million ways you could take it. I like it. We'll go with that. Marvellous. And if you do want to hear that episode, you can join us as a patron. You can go to thatwasgeniuspodcast.com and sign up there or go straight to patreon.com slash thatwasgenius. Have you got like small print and terms and conditions on Patreon? Because we don't uh, want anyone of the Verukas, do we, joining? And if no, they hang, do, hang they've on got a bit. Hang on a bit. On. They've got to put one of those Veruca socks on. Yeah, Verucas are fine as long as you've got one of those socks on. And you have to have a shower before you come into the bubble bath. You do, yes. That is very important. We don't want the spread of uh, Tinder super Groinal diseases. <laughs> no, 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 no. And uh, also, please don't eat any cauliflowers. The bath's bubbly enough as it is. But for less than the price of a cup of coffee, <laughs> three pounds a month, you get access to all the episodes, and you also get access to uh, to songs. There's Have bonus songs as well. Songs, yeah. No, <laughs> no feedback. <laughs> stun, stunned silence. I think. <laughs> stunned silence. Oh, the, I, well, I was listening to Baxter the other day. I. Uh, I need singing lessons very badly. Oh, you have a lovely voice. At points, <laughs> one in every twenty notes is is bang on. Oh, that's Chris Martin's got a, got a career out of it. Well, that's true, and at least I'm more cheerful than Chris Martin. <laughs> there are a lot of bad singers who've made wonderful careers. Sam, I liked your voice. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> Yes. So uh, anyway, do do join if you if you can, and uh, if you don't fancy it, that's absolutely fine. We will see you in a couple of weeks' time. Well, actually, we, should we do hobbies as the next publicly available one, just Has so that people know what to expect? That was an audience suggestion. Was hobbies? So we'll do lies for patrons and hobbies in two weeks for everyone else. Excellent. Marvellous. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And don't forget, you can get in contact with us on social media. We're on Facebook, That Was Genius Podcast. We're on Twitter, That Underscore Was Underscore Genius. And on Instagram, at That Was Genius. Right. Say goodbye, Tom. Say good, uh, goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> I need to get a bed. Goodbye. Yes. <laughs> and we will see you in two weeks' time for a special episode on hobbies. Have a lovely time. Stay safe. We love you all dearly.